Well, get your Bibles ready, because here we go. We have about 25 minutes. Maybe it was the topic, and this is why it was, uh, the order of service was made this way, but this is what we have. Let's pray together, and let's get started. So, Father, we just give you thanks for the day that you've gathered all these people here. We pray, Lord, that we would hear from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would change our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would convict. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage. We pray, pray, Lord, that you would do your work and you would send forth your word and that you would accomplish your purposes with it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. She came to him and he slept with her. You know, at times I've wondered, after I pass and... I'm dead and gone. What people might write about me in a biography? Have you ever thought that before? What would people write about you in a biography of your life? Would your biography have maybe this sentence in it? She came to him and he slept with her. You might say, well, I don't know, I don't know the context. Maybe yes, maybe no, I, I don't know. Well, let me just share a little bit about this person that this statement was made in reference to. And probably some of you already know who this is in reference to the topic. But let me just share a little bit. This was said about a man who was on the rise to power and fame. Most everyone loved him. His wealth grew, his kingdom was growing. He was at the top of his game, seemingly. He was invincible and pretty much impervious to defeat from his enemy. Yet all that changed in one night. That night was the pivot point in his life. You ever had a pivot point in your life? This was his. It was the hinge on which the door turned and the door slammed shut in his face. At this point, you probably have an idea of who I'm talking about. It's King David. The ugly hinge which the door turned was the hinge of adultery in his life. From that point on, you can trace... The demise of David. I don't know if you've ever read First and Second Samuel. You can tell as you read the life of David that in David's life, he is just, when you finally read about him, he is just on the upshoot to victory. I mean, even though King Saul is going around and chasing him and he's in caves and whatnot as he's running from King Saul... David is on the pathway to the throne. David was the anointed one, the one chosen, the Messiah. And he was to take the throne. Well, King Saul, as you know, finally died. David took the throne and his kingdom prospers. He gains wealth. His family seemingly seems to be doing all right. And all of a sudden, In 2 Samuel chapter 11, it happens. We don't know necessarily the circumstances, although he didn't go into battle and he was at home in Jerusalem. We don't know all the details, but all we know is this, that she came to him, Bathsheba, 
and he slept with her. From that point on, the story takes a big shift. From the upward climb to the heights of the king, kingship, he twirls down. Let me just share a few things of what happens to him as a sum up the rest of Second Samuel. David's baby boy, who, they had, who he had with Bathsheba, dies seven days after his birth. One of David's sons, Amnon, raped his stepsister. David's son, Absalom, in a fit of rage, killed Amnon. Absalom tries to kill David and take over the kingdom. David goes into hiding from his son. Fear for his death. Absalom is killed. Which David didn't want to happen. But he was killed. And David mistakenly counts Israel's fighting men bringing judgment on the entire kingdom. Now I'm sure David wouldn't have wanted this written on his biography, but there it is, black and white in scriptures. It's been there for about 3,000 years. And it's for our benefit that we see these words and we see this life story of David. But I want you to just consider with me for just a, just a little bit, just for a few moments, about this man David. This guy was characterized as a man after God's own heart in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. He wrote the majority of the Psalms. I mean, this guy loved God. He worshipped Him. He adored God. He was satisfied with God. He wanted God. This guy was a worshiper, a follower of Yahweh. God establishes a specific covenant with David's family. It's never happened to me. But they did with David. Promising that there would always be a son from your family to sit on the throne. And he was God's anointed one. He was the chosen one. And he committed adultery. What? And you know, then I stop and think about David's life and then I consider myself, who am I compared to David? Who am I? I'm nobody compared to who David was. And who are you? Who are you compared to who David was? And then I think to myself, do we even have a chance? Do we even have a chance not to commit adultery in our life? Well, you know, David didn't even have to deal with the same things that you have to deal with every day. He didn't have to deal with satellite. He didn't have to deal with internet. He didn't have to deal with mobile devices. He didn't have to deal with social media that bombards us day after day, sending us message after message. Did you know that, that adultery is vogue today? It's in vogue today. Um, it's pretty hip. And you know, you watch the TV shows like uh, uh, Desperate Housewives. I've never seen it. I just assume that uh, some things that you know go on right there. Can, is that about what goes on in that show? Does anybody know? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you caught me. Um, 
We see it day after day. You know, our society and even, even our churches, even our churches today succumb to it. We follow after a particular version of the Bible. I, didn't, I don't know if you know this, but that particular version is the 1631 KJV version. It was the updated version. It was nicknamed the Wicked Bible. Because the printer inadvertently forgot to put in one small little word in the seventh commandment. Not. So it read, thou shalt commit adultery. The printer was uh, charged 300 pounds, and back then, that was a whole year's wages. They went out of business. Yet, adultery is still just as destructive today as it was in David's lifetime, 3,000 years ago. Adultery destroyed, destroyed David's occupation his family, his friendships. Did you know he was a friend of Uriah the Hittite? If you don't know, Uriah the Hittite was Bathsheba's husband, the one he committed adultery with. In fact, in 2 Samuel, I think the second to last chapter in 2 Samuel, it mentions the men of valor that David fought with. These were his companions, his friends. And the last person mentioned on that list is Uriah the Hittite. Destroyed every aspect of his life. Now, my goal this morning is to be somewhat brief. But one is just to warn us about the dangers of adultery. Two, to inform us of what the extent of the extent of adultery. What is it? And three, to hopefully equip us a little bit to prevent physical adultery to come into our lives. And maybe a little bit of, what do I do if I've committed it? What do I do? So why don't you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. The Bible speaks of three kinds of adultery. There's three kinds of adultery that the Bible seems to speak of. The first one is physical adultery that we'll look at. The second is mental adultery. And the third is spiritual adultery, which we will not look at today. Do not commit physical adultery. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, as it's up there on the screen and also in your scriptures, it says this simply, you shall not commit adultery. Well done. There we go. That was simple. The command is simple and it means that no one is allowed to have sexual relations with any married person except his or her spouse and no married person is allowed to have sex with anyone other than his or her spouse. Now many of you might be thinking this or some of you might be thinking this. I don't have to worry about this. This is a non-issue for my life. I am not going to commit adultery. One, well, I'm not married. Well, maybe we'll get back to that. It's not an issue, you might say. Well, I would assume that Tiffany Tihan thought the same thing. Let me just share a little description about this lady. 
A pastor's daughter and graduate of an Ohio evangelical college, Tiffany, went missing Saturday, April 17, 2010. Local authorities deemed the 31-year-old mother's absence suspicious. Her green Ford Explorer was found in a park near her home with a flat tire and the keys in the ignition. Husband David, who was home with their 13-month-old daughter, reported Tiffany missing when she didn't return from a day of shopping. Family, friends, and parishioners of the non-denominational church in which they attended, where the began canvassing the community with missing persons, flyers, and search teams. They tirelessly combed the area for days. A highly publicized nationwide search ensued. On April 22nd, authorities found Tiffany with 42-year-old Trey Hutcherson, also married, at a hotel in Miami Beach, Florida. Tiffany and Trey said they ran away to start a new life. I'm sure Tiffany didn't have this thought in her mind. She probably didn't think, it's probably going to be me. I'll probably do this. No, Tiffany, as probably every young or old, newlyweds, it'll never happen to me. I'm always, in my own life, I'm always under the idea that it can happen to me. Young people in here, it could happen to you. Those in here that are thinking about getting married, it can happen to you. Why? Because our, your hearts are desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? That's what Jeremiah says. I wholeheartedly cling to that. I don't know my own heart half the time. My wife asked me, why did you do that? I don't know. I don't. And then I try to psychoanalyze myself. I still have no clue why I do some of the things I do. The only one that does is God. It can happen to you. Well, the Bible speaks of the dangers of adultery. And I'm going to skip that, assuming that you know that adultery has major consequences in your life. The book of Proverbs chapter 6 basically says this, you are stupid to commit adultery. That would be my version. (laughs) And I'll share one scripture verse that seems to be pretty intense. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now I'm not here today to lamb blast those who have committed adultery. Maybe there's many of you in here that have done that. Just hang on for me, with me for just a little bit. Some of you in here, self-righteous people, think, how could they do such a thing? Well, you hang on with me as well. 
Why is adultery so serious? Here's four, th- four reasons. I have some scripture verses, but I don't have time to read them. One is this. It destroys the sacredness of marriage. Destroys the sacredness of marriage. I believe the scripture verse here is Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, I believe. Jesus talks about marriage. It destroys the sacredness of marriage, too. It destroys the sacredness of the body. Paul calls adultery a sin against the body. He actually calls sexual immorality a sin against the body, which adultery would be a part of. And why is that? Well, did you know, if you're a Christian and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you now have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in some sense, there is a picture. Just like, for instance, for those married people in here, you are now one with your spouse. You are now one with your spouse. The two shall become one flesh. You're one with her or her with him. In the same similar idea, now that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are now one, in some sense, with Jesus. So when you commit adultery or some sexual immoral act with another person, animal, whatever it might be, you are not only offending your body, which God owns, Jesus owns, and it's his, but also you're offending the maker himself. Three, it distorts the relationship of Christ and the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 31, shows a picture of the marriage relationship and the relationship that Jesus has with the church. And did you know that your marriage relationship is a visual demonstration, to a certain extent, of Jesus' relationship with the church? That's right, men, you're described as a bride. Just get used to it. So it distorts that image. Fourth and last thing, it demeans the gospel message. It demeans the gospel message. When people who are unbelievers reject Jesus Christ, they look and they see that our relationships are similar to those who don't name Christ as their Savior, they look at the gospel message that we say has the power to transform lives and they say, well, no, it doesn't. Look, your marriages are just the same way as ours. The gospel has the power to transform lives. And when you commit adultery, it distorts that message. Well, the sin of adultery is serious. It destroys lives. It breaks up families and offends God. Yet adultery is even more serious than than a physical act. It's first committed in the mind. So why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Uh, I didn't make this. So uh, I just wanted to state my masculinity here. I didn't make this. I don't scrapbook. And if you guys do scrapbook, it's okay. So... Hopefully I didn't offend anybody if you do. 
This is a scrapbook my wife put together of our wedding. We have several pictures in here of our uh, very dear, dear to me and just wonderful memories that I'm not going to show you. But I did want to just share one thing with you. Is this that my wife and I we uh, we wrote out wrote our wrote out our vows to one another. We also said our traditional vows. But I just wanted to read one section of my vows. I say this, and I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not the best writer ever, so pardon for any grammatical errors or mistakes or anything like that. So I said this, you will be my only lover, and I will only seek to find mental and physical satisfaction in you as my lover. Now, if you would have known me about nine years before I wrote that down, you would know that I would not even think about writing mental satisfaction. That wasn't even in my vocabulary. I was 17 years old. And I, w- I, was, I have never been confused as a brainiac. Okay? Have you ever known a truth but not really connected the dots to the application or an aspect of your life that just was blatantly obvious? Okay, I'm the only one. So, I knew, I knew that God knew everything or knows everything. I knew that. But for some reason, I didn't connect the dots that God knows what you're thinking. So I'm sitting in Sunday school, just like, you know, normal teen. That's not true. Our teens are pretty good. They actually ask questions. Sitting in Sunday school, listening, and Coach Bailey, teaching the Sunday school class, he says this. God knows everything that you think. Have you ever done one of those double takes before? Uh, could, you, could you repeat that again? What, what was that again? He knows everything? It was from that point on, it was my... It opened up the floodgate of my sinfulness. It's like, are you kidding me? And then you do one of these things. You try. You try not to sin in your mind. How do you control this thing? It was the first time in my life that I tried to control what I was thinking. I failed miserably. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, he said this, You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than yet your whole body go into hell. Here's a few verses that kind of scare, scare the tar out of you. Like, what? Especially as a young 17-year-old. Now, the teachers of the law at this time, basically what they were saying is they were saying, hey, don't commit adultery. Meaning this. 
just as long as you don't have a sexual relationship with, with another man's wife or another wife's husband, then you're okay. Then you're okay. Well, what does Jesus do here? Jesus, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, is going through the Ten Commandments, and as Mr. Shupi said last week, he is showing the true intent of what the law is saying. He's saying this. Look at this again. Verse 28. But I say to you, Jesus says, that everyone, not just a married person, so single people in here, children, teens, adults, older adults, everyone who looks at a woman, ladies are like, well, it doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. Everyone who looks at a woman or a man with lustful intent commits adultery. Where? In your heart. In your heart. So for those in here who are self-righteous and can't believe that someone has committed adultery against their wife or against their husband, can any of us really say that we haven't done that in some way? Though they're different. I grant that. Committing a physical act of adultery and committing an adultery of the heart are different. Very different. But still, Jesus brings it up to a higher level. Well, you know, this command includes several things. It would include pornography. Men, women... A lot of people think that this is just a man issue of pornography. And actually, there are fairly old statistics now of 2006 that one in every three people who visited a porn site was a woman. That's 2006. I'm sure it has increased since then. It said this, 80% 80 of teens from 11 to 15, have visited a pornographic site, seen a magazine, or the like. The average age of first experiencing this is 11. 80% of teens, mom and dad, there's a good chance that your child is either addicted to porn or has at least seen it. What do you need to do? Talk to them about it. Ask them. And kids, though we haven't got to the ninth commandment yet, don't lie to them. Tell them. If you don't get a handle on this now, it could destroy your life. I've known too many of my friends that life has been destroyed as a result of this. Get a handle on it. Not only does it cover pornography, it also covers awful, gushy romance novels. Uh, Sexting. If you don't know what that is, probably ask a teen. They'll know what it is. Perverse internet chatting. Phone calls and texting. 
of a perverse nature, mental fantasies, and the like are all under the category of adultery of the heart. And are any of us, any of us, innocent? I would venture to say no. What hope is there? I tell you there's great hope. There's great hope. But let's first talk about what Jesus says. The first thing he says is that we need to pluck out our eye if it offends us. We need to cut off our hand if it offends us. There's three ways of looking at this. The third one is the bad choice. Don't take it this way. In fact, there was a, uh, the most famous incident of this third way was a man by the name of Origen who lived around 250 AD or so. And he emasculated himself. And there has been incidences like that about a man from, uh, a boy from Moody Bible Institute who cut off some sort of appendage from his body to try to obey this. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The other thing, the first one, is radical mortification. Mortification. What in the world is that? Well, that's an old word that simply means this. Just means to kill or to destroy. To get rid of. Jesus is saying that we need to take radical mortification on this particular issue of lust. What do we need to do? Men, if, if you are women, if you're addicted to pornography, you need to get rid of the magazines. You need to get rid of the internet. Get rid of it. But I just paid for it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's nothing good on there anyways, for the most part. Yeah, there's some good stuff on there. Cable, get rid of it. You don't need it. Be better on the budget. You don't need it. Get rid of your books. And if it's so bad that you can't control it, maybe you should dumb down your phone and get a phone like mine. I call it a dumb phone. It's amazing. I'm 32 years old and I don't have a smartphone yet. I'm not going to get one. It costs too much money. Uh, get rid of your smartphone. If it's that big of a struggle, get rid of those things. Radical mortification. Ladies, if you're having a difficulty with social media and you're finding some old boyfriends from the past, it's time to cut the Facebook off. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. And we could go on. There's more and more. And you know what your, you know what your issue is. Get rid of it. Uh, the second way of looking at this is, maybe you haven't looked at this passage in the same way, is, this is an issue, let me ask you, does your eye make you sin? Does your physical eye make you sin? Does your hand make you sin? No, it doesn't, does it? Might Jesus be saying this? That it's not your eye. It's not your hand. But what is it that makes you sin? You. All of you. To actually do what Jesus is saying, you'd have to get rid of all of you. What do I do? 
What do I do? We're all guilty. We're all desperate. How do I overcome such a disease in my life? I tell you this, that there's hope. Because 2,000 years ago, there was a man who was God in the flesh. His name was Jesus. You've heard about him. He came to live a perfect life that you couldn't live. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, it says, If you don't have, if you're not more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And in chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said this, You need to be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who can meet up to that standard? That's the, that's the answer. No one. And Jesus lived a perfect life for you. All you adulterers out there, both physical, both mental, lustful adulterers out there, Jesus died for your sin and took that punishment upon himself that you could be free. That you could be free. You need to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Both those in here who are unbelievers, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you of your sin before it's too late. And for those in here who are believers, you need to trust Christ. For salvation, no. You need to trust Christ to help you to overcome the issues in your life. Trust Christ. What He's done on the cross, because He's given you the power to overcome these things. Through His Holy Spirit, you need to, as Romans chapter 6 says, to reckon that yourself, that you are dead to sin and you are alive to Jesus. Here's how we do this. And it's one word. Worship. You're like, what are you talking about? We're almost finished. Worship. See, the issue with lust and the sin of adultery is this, that we worship at the altar of sex. Don't we? We worship it. I've got to have it. I, I need it. I, I need to have this, uh, my emotions met by someone. It's not getting met by my husband. I've got to find it somewhere else. I need it. I must have it. I need a functional savior to save me. And that's what it is. For you men, maybe it's not the emotional kind of need. But I need to. And you worship it. What Jesus calls us to do is radical mortification. Move that stuff out of our lives. And, but it needs to be replaced with something, doesn't it? You can't just remove something, that which you worship, and not replace it with something. What do you need to do? You need to replace it. With Jesus Christ, you need to worship Him and Him alone. You need to be all satisfied with Him. How do I do that? You need to get into the Word. I think you've heard that enough at church before, haven't you? You need to get into the Word. You need to know who He is. You need to be just amazed by who He is. When those times of temptation come, ladies and gentlemen, you need to pray. God, help me. I want to be more satisfied in you. I want to be more enamored and adore you than those base things. I want you and not them. Though you might be feeling in your heart you'd rather have them than God. 
But you pray to God and say, I want you and not them. I don't want that. I want to love my wife. I want to love you. You pray to God. He will help you. He will help you. I apologize that we are way out of time and would love to keep on going with this, helping you guys with this issue because this is an issue that we all face, don't we? This is an issue that we all face. One last thing. You know another thing that you need to do? You need to get involved in the church. You need to make church a priority. Why? You might say, all we do is just come here and sit and listen to some guy talk for 15 minutes over time. I didn't have, I didn't have full time. Now, that's not what the church is necessarily about. It's you coming and integrating your life with believers in Jesus Christ. Encouraging each other. Coming to Sunday school to learn more about your Savior. Coming on Wednesday night if you can and you're able to, to get involved in a men's group, a woman's group, with the teens. Get integrated with the church. Get integrated with the church. God will use that in your life to help change you. We have numerous, numerous testimony of that. I would be one of those. Get involved. Well, let's pray together. So, Father, we ask that you would help us. Lord, all of us are hurting in some way as a result of sexual sin, whether it's a mental thing or whether it's actual physical adultery. And we pray, Father, that you would give us the grace to overcome these things in our life. And Father, I just pray as David prayed in light of his adultery with Bathsheba, have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out our transgressions. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. Against you, you only have we sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. God, help us. And thank you for the grace that we have in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.